listening to Over the Oxa podcast with Tracy Cole for all things to do with the mind for equestrians. Today I've got some more question and answers. So thank you so much for sending me your questions. It's always lovely to have lots and lots of questions. I can see where you want me to focus. I can see what kind of topics I can cover for the future. So I can answer some things in brief terms and then think about doing a whole episode on some of these issues and problems. So thank you so much. Let's kick off straight away then with a question from Sarah. And Sarah asked me, why did my hypnotherapy not work? Now, she also said that her hypnotherapy wasn't done by me. This was a lovely lady who did the hypnosis for her. She was a local lady, local to Sarah, and Sarah popped along to her office. She wasn't an equestrian, but Sarah said that they had a long discussion about hypnosis but sadly, it didn't seem to stick or hold. So there's a number of reasons, and some of them you might not think about if you're not quite used to hypnosis. So the first thing is that you don't need to relax probably as much as you think you do. So please don't think that was a problem. So I don't know whether you relaxed or not, but some people think that you've got to be in this kind of semi-comatosed, zonked out, zombie kind of state of mind, and you really don't. If you can relax a little bit, so the same level of relaxation as if you were watching a film, you know, you're just sitting on the sofa and you're watching telly that level of relaxation is all that's needed. I'm saying needed a bit hesitantly because you don't even need that. So it's nicer if you're relaxed, but it doesn't really matter too much. So please don't think that it was a level of relaxation. So it could be that something jarred in your mind. So something in the hypnosis So you mentioned that your hypnotherapy lady wasn't a rider. So if she said something a little bit off, you know, she used a a term that riders wouldn't use or she used something that wasn't quite in the right place or she used a term that, that might be used somewhere else for instance you're in the UK and if she'd used an American term then you knew what it was, but at the same time, it isn't a word that you would use yourself. And obviously, if you're over in the States or in Canada or Australia and you've got slightly different words for things, then it kind of jars in the unconscious. So let me give you an example. So in the UK, when we go to see our horses, we go to the yard Whereas very often in the US, you go to the barn and in Australia, very often you go to the farm. So it it can be a little bit kind of weird if you're talking about a place that you go to daily or very frequently and somebody gives you the wrong term for it and you still know what they mean, but you're like, your mind's kind of saying, 
oh, that's an unusual way to say it. Oh, I know what you mean, but it's not what I would say. And when that happens, when you get that slight dissonance, I suppose, it just makes your conscious mind come right back in there. And what we're trying to do in hypnosis is quieten the conscious mind, quieten the self-talk, get that out of the way. Sometimes a hypnotherapist may give the conscious mind something to do, like counting or something something else, so that we can talk to the unconscious mind because that's where the problem lies. So it might just be that. It may be that you were given a recording of your session, or maybe you weren't, but in an ideal world, you would take a recording and listen to it frequently. Now, some people are really lucky and they don't need to do that. And I've had clients that listen once and they I can see, you know, when I send them a link for the download, I can see they never download it. And it's it's so nice for those people that they listen once, they're in the session and hey, presto, they're, they're, they're done. That's it. But for most people, you need to listen as much as you can. I usually say to people three to four times a week for three to four weeks, but that's very much a rule of thumb. Some people don't need that amount. Some people would need to continue on more. And if you're too busy to listen three or four times a week, if you can only fit once in, that's okay too. But it may take you a longer time to get rid of the issue. So it might just be that the practice of listening to the recording, maybe you you didn't quite get there with that. So have a little think about it. And if you have got the recording still, brilliant. You can listen over and over and really get that embedded into your mind. My second question, I, I absolutely love this one because I'm I'm so on board with this. So this is from Judith and Judith asked me, can I improve my core strength with hypnosis alone? Isn't that brilliant? I, I absolutely love it. Can I become Olympic style fit by just having hypnosis, just lying down on a sofa, listening to a recording? Well, Yes and no is the answer. It's brilliant actually for getting us fit. And you may not actually believe this, but you can see a change with hypnosis. Take. So there was a study done, and the study was done about building muscle mass. And they had two groups of people. They had one group who did the appropriate physical exercise. And then they had a second group who just exercised in their mind. And the people who did the actual exercise, as advised by experts in sports science and so on, saw a 30% increase in their muscle mass. So that's, that's pretty huge, isn't it? Now, the people who did visualization alone saw 13.5% increase in their muscle mass. So it's just under half the amount, isn't it? So yes, you could get a little bit more core fitness by doing visualization or hypnosis. And you would, in your visualization or hypnosis, be thinking about 
the exercise. So you would be going through the exercise process in the visualization, but obviously you're just actually at home having to lie down, probably with a box of chocolates by your side. So you could get some core strength, but imagine if you did the physical exercise and the visualization. Now, I haven't seen that done in a study. I couldn't find anything on the internet about that, but that would really boost things, wouldn't it? That would be fabulous. My next question is from Kate, and I love this one as well. Kate says, I'm an eternal pessimist. If it can go wrong, it will probably go wrong. That makes me stop riding for the slightest thing because I always imagine that it will go wrong. Well, you're not alone here. And it's to do with having that pessimistic view is to do with how you filter information in your mind. And it's to do with your personality and you can change it. We're not born pessimistic. We become pessimistic through life. We do as human beings see things negatively because it's a kind of inbuilt protection system. However, we can override it. So the filtering that you have is that we, we do three types of filtering in our mind. So you're in any situation whatsoever, you're living life, doing whatever, could be something very mundane, could be something highly exciting, and you're getting in touch with your surroundings using your five senses, and a mass of information comes in, so we have to cut it down. A little bit like when you search on Amazon or eBay, you know, you search for something very generic And suddenly you get a thousand hits and you think, oh gosh, I can't look through all these. So you start to filter by price or color or size. And our mind does something very similar. And it filters by deleting some things, distorting and generalizing others. So the pessimistic mind will delete the good. It will distort things so that molehills become mountains. And it will generalize and think this always happens. I always get it wrong. You know, and you say if it can go wrong, it probably will go wrong. That's another generalization. So it's kind of like a slant towards the negative. People who are optimistic do the opposite. So again, they delete the negatives. They make mountains into molehills. And they generalize on a different scale. They say, well, you know, you never know. It could work out. So they generalize a little bit more positively. So it's catching yourself when you're doing these things and working out, is what I'm thinking or saying to myself real? So when you're saying to yourself, it's always raining. Is it always raining 100% of the time? And it's questioning yourself in that way. So when you think, oh, I've had an awful schooling session today. It's been really bad. Has it? Have you deleted the good bits? Did you warm up really well? 
did your horse get to listen to you right by the end? So you kind of deleted the bits that were good. And distortions, again, were making things far worse than they actually were. Maybe you think you had an awful schooling session, but you were asking your horse to do lots of new things and your horse was getting quite tired mentally and was doing their best. And so you can see that that pessimistic viewpoint, if you keep punching holes in it, eventually with practice, the new habit will become more and more optimistic. The other thing to think about is that you said that you stop riding at the slightest thing because you think of the worst case scenario. And our mind, our ego mind, if you like, is highly protective and it strives to keep us very, very safe so that we just survive. And it keeps us in that comfort zone all the time. So your comfort zone is not to ride. That's where you feel completely comfortable. And we know that there are different zones that we can pass into as we start to do things. And different people call them different things. So once you leave the comfort zone, sometimes people call that the stretch zone or the learning zone. And it's it's kind of slightly, slightly uncomfortable because it's new, it's different. You're pushing yourself a little bit. Maybe it's not so new and not so different, but you know it's a stretch for you. And then outside of that, there's usually some kind of fear zone. So what could be happening is that unbeknownst to you, you're either in your comfort zone when you're not riding or you skip the learning zone or the stretch zone and you go into the fear zone. So maybe you kind of overpower yourself a little bit. So I would say break down your goal into smaller parts so that you always feel like maybe you're being stretched or you're learning something, but that is small. So take it in really, really small chunks. So maybe the time that you ride is a small chunk. Maybe it's 15 minutes. And, you know, and if you think to yourself, well, I could feel comfortable for 15 minutes because it would take me five or 10 minutes to warm up and then a couple of minutes of schooling and then I'm warming down. And so you think, oh, well, actually, when I think about it, there's, there's not too much of a stretch in there. And what happens, your ego mind says, oh, okay, then I can deal with that. I know it's just a little bit more than what we normally do. But I know that at the end of it, I'm warming down and I'm safe and I'm fine again. So do things in bite-sized chunks so that you're not overloading your ego mind or your amygdala with something that is too much of a stretch and you go out into that fear zone. My last question is from Francine and she says, why can't I ride the horse I'm on? And instead of thinking about my old horse, it was really difficult and scared the life out of me. This is really common and I've experienced this myself 
that you have a horse who's a challenge for you for whatever reason whether that reason is something happened on that horse or that you just know that that horse was difficult and you move on to riding a new horse but you're still riding defensively as if you're on the old horse you're still expecting this new horse to do all the little quirks that the old horse did and so you're kind of placing those nerves that came from a totally different situation onto the situation with the brand new horse and and obviously this is part of the mind trying to keep you nice and safe because the mind's kind of saying well it's a horse so potentially it's just the same as that old one but it's it's getting into the new habit isn't it so that you realize that actually this horse doesn't do those things and relaxing into it so because it's a new habit sometimes it it will just take time if you did nothing in terms of mindset it would be that eventually after time after time after time of riding that your mind would start to relax and start to think oh this horse doesn't do that and it's said that you need 20 to 30 repetitions for your mind to actually start to make that into a new habit that you're riding the horse that's beneath you. So mindset work can just speed up that process a little bit. So there's various things that you can do to convince your mind that you're riding a new horse and this is a totally new personality and although you have learnt how to ride defensively, how to ride that old horse, then this is a completely different scenario. So I would do, personally, lots of visualizations of riding the new horse. I would imagine that I'm actually on the horse inside the visualization rather than watching myself. And I would put myself through a schooling session or a competition or whatever it was that I wanted to do. Because eventually your mind will realize that this is perfectly safe. And the reason it does that is that the unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. So let's say you ride 10 times and you visualize 10 times. Your mind thinks you've done it 20 times. So it doesn't have to be a long visualization, could be a couple of minutes and you're moving, if you like, in your visualization. So don't think of it as having to lie down on the sofa with your eyes closed. You could stand up or, this is a good one, you could sit on the arm of a chair, on the arm of your settee in a riding position Or if you've got one of those saddle racks that's sturdy enough that you could sit on, you could do that. So you're kind of like on a pretend horse and move, you know, look round. If you're bending your horse to the right, you're looking round to the right, you're moving your hips, you've got that little bit of rotation in your body, your arms are moving and so on and do that movement as well. I would do that as much as you could 
and that will really speed up the way that you think about the the new horse versus the old horse. And if you needed to power that up, then there are different techniques. And because you were kind enough to send me this question, I sent you a little technique, a little NLP technique. So I would use that one as well and see which you prefer, whether you prefer the little technique I sent you or visualizing, because both of those will bring you to the same end, which will be to relax on the new horse. Well, if anyone has any questions on mindset, whether it's something that I could do a whole episode on or part of an episode, please do send them in. I will put my email address into the comments section. Thank you ever so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today. Take care and I'll see you again very soon. 